0: Listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. I'm going to keep today very simple. I don't want to get deep theologically today. That's, that's not where we're heading. Here's, here's what I plan to do, okay? Um, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus and how much he loves you. That's the first thing I want to do. Talk to you about Jesus and how much he loves you. And then um, I'm going to tell you a, a personal story about my family which, how many of you know, if you're born and raised in a pastor's home, uh, it's all on the table. If it happens in our, in our lives, then we get to share it publicly. So, um, and, and so I'm going to tell you a story about our family, and then and then I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to love Jesus back. That's what I want to do today. I want to give you a chance to love him back. And so today, I want to speak to you on the subject, he had to go there. He had to go there. H- have you ever tried to avoid controversy like you know this conversation is going to go downhill, and you just want to keep your mouth shut, and so you 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 just you refrain you you just you you don't say anything, and you're just trying your best to avoid the controversy, and then all of a sudden there's there's someone opposite opinion of you and and they just they just do it they just they just say it out loud like in in the middle of the conversation they just it just comes out of their mouth and, and it it's just there and, and you're like you had to go there right you had to go there for others in the room maybe it's something like this you're trying to avoid the argument like you don't want to get involved in this argument and then all of a sudden they talk about your mama <laughs> and you're like you had to go there right you had to go there and have you ever noticed this it's okay for you to talk about your mom but it's not okay for everyone else to talk about your mom you know you get real defensive when that happens right like you can say whatever you want to about her and and you have <laughs> and but if somebody else says the exact same thing, now all of a sudden you're mad. It, it happens. Or, or maybe you're trying to keep the peace, and, and then and the mamas in the room will relate to this. You're trying to keep the peace, and then all of a sudden they bring your kids into it. And they want to tell you how you should be raising your kids. And you're like, you had to go there. You had to go there. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you work hard, but you're constantly overlooked for that raise or that promotion, but there's that one person with the company that they have a title that they don't deserve, right? You know, you know who I'm talking about. And, and they have the gall to walk up to you after you've been overlooked and overlooked and overlooked, and they walk up to you, and they tell you something like this, don't give up, don't give up, but just try harder. And you're like, mm You had to go there, right? You had to go there. And and sometimes people say things that just causes a stir, and they go there with it. They go there, and you're like, why? Why why are you bringing me into this? Why did you say that? And I I need you to understand that our Savior, Jesus Christ, he was a master at this. He said some things sometimes that kind of got people worked up a little bit. Uh, He would often say things, that, that would, would, would get people on the edge of their seats. And, 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 and sometimes it would even provoke them to anger, provoke them to wrath. It's not that Jesus wanted to, but there was something happening inside of them. Something happening in their spirit that when he would say these things, they didn't understand it. Because Jesus would say stuff like in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now you have to remember, he's speaking to Jews who are under Roman oppression they don't control their own lives. They don't control their own nation. They're under Roman rule. And he's looking at these Jews and he's saying, love your enemies. Love the Romans. And, and those that persecute you, the Romans that persecute you, pray for them. And I can only imagine. There's probably some people that are like, what? Who do you think you are? You had to go there, right? You had to go there. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 10... Jesus says this after he tells a parable. Um, He he says, you, you, if you want to be successful in the kingdom of God, you've got to imitate a good Samaritan. And the Jews are like, that's an oxymoron. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. I mean, they were really racist against them because Samaritans were half Jews and they were looked down upon and uh, called the dogs of society. And, And so when Jesus looks at this crowd and says, you need to imitate a good Samaritan, that was the hero of the story that he just told. And they're like, who do you think you are? You had to go there, right? You had to. And In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said this. He said, if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek and let them slap the other side. Now, you don't even have to be a Jew for that to get you, your, your, your feathers ruffled, right? I mean, you're like, what? That's stupid. Why would we ever do that? Why would we let someone slap this cheek, turn around, let them slap the other one? In the same exact verse, Jesus says, if someone takes, not, not if you give it. He said, if they take, if they steal your coat. He said, then you give them your shirt also. And people are like, who is this guy? Why is he saying these things? You had to go there, right? Which, by the way, you're not getting this shirt. This is a good-looking shirt that I have on today. It's fancy. Listen, if you ever see me dressed up in a suit, it's either a wedding, a funeral, or Easter. Okay? And I'm not marrying anyone today. I'm not burying anyone today. It's Easter. Amen? Amen? It's Resurrection Sunday. And these statements, these statements, and more like them, it calls people... To look at Jesus with anger because he had to go there. And, and, and I can tell you there's not one word that Jesus ever said that, that wasn't intentional. Like Jesus didn't just stumble upon words and, and say something he didn't mean. When Jesus said it, he meant it. And he said these things because he knew that it was going to stir something up within their spirit and he was going to get a reaction out of them. And and, and so Jesus was very intentional with this. And, and, And he wasn't just making statements to provoke wrath or anger. He was making statements to promote his father's agenda. You're going to see that some more today. He was making statements that were in support of what God wanted on earth, of what God wanted to do in the human heart. That's why he was making these statements. And in weeks to come, following this this sermon today, um, I want to explore some of these statements and, and why Jesus had to go there with his speech, why he had to say some of these things to get a reaction out of the human heart. And, and we're going to explore those. But today, it's not about his verbal journey. Today, it's about his physical journey. Like, he literally had to go there. Matthew chapter 26, I want to read verses 36 through 47. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 47. Verse 36 says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, listen to these words, my father, this is his prayer, if it be possible let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you, not watch, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time he went away and prayed. Listen to this prayer. My father... If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Now get this, Jesus is going away from his disciples, finding a place of seclusion, and all three times he prays the same prayer. Father, if, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. In other words, I, I don't want to do what I have to do. If there's any other way, if there's any way out of this, then, then show me another way. And so he prays this three times. And then verse 45 says, Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now having been... To Israel, and, and when Mandy and I visited the Garden of Gethsemane, as you stand in the Garden of Gethsemane on this hillside, it, you, you overlook a valley, and there you see the city walls of Jerusalem. What was interesting to me is that as you look from, from the Garden of Gethsemane, as you look across that valley, you see the gate where they would have come out from that direction. They would have come out carrying their torches. torches. It's the middle of the night. And and, and there's not city uh, electricity and city lights like we would see today. Jesus would see their torches coming through this valley as he was praying. He knew the time was running out. He knew that that the time was getting close, that he would be arrested. And he follows their torches and he sees them. We know that he sees them because the third time that he comes back to his disciples, he tells them. He says, my betrayer is at hand. Judas is here to betray me. This this is going down right now. I'm about to be turned over into the hands of sinners. And so he could watch them. He knew that that they were on their way. What's so interesting in this passage of Scripture, our text today, is that it's here where we get to see both his divinity and his humanity on full display. We see both happening because Jesus was fully God Yet he chose to become fully man for us also. So fully God, fully man, and we see both his divinity and his humanity on full display. Uh, In repeatedly asking his heavenly father if this cup could pass from him, you have to understand that Jesus was not lacking faith. That's not the problem here. Jesus is not lacking faith. This wasn't a matter of faith, church. He knew what had to happen. What's happening is it's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of doing what he, know, what he knows has to be done. And we understand that from his entire life, his, his ministry, all of his teachings, that he came to complete and fulfill the will of the Father. We, we see this time and time again. Jesus came to fulfill the will of the Father. He knew, make no doubt about it, he knew that he had to be the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus knew that he had to become the lamb, the spotless lamb, the sinless lamb for our sins. He had to be the sacrifice. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, to the law, Exodus chapter 12, actually, and God institutes the first Passover and he tells every household of Israel to get an unblemished lamb, a spotless lamb to sacrifice he then tells them to take the blood from that lamb and put it on their doorpost. And many scholars believe that the, the motion that they would have made to put the, the blood on the doorpost would have been in the sign of a cross. As they, they, they did the cross member, a cross, and then they, they went down the doorpost. It would have been the sign of the cross. There's so much symbolism there that I don't have time to get into. But understand, Jesus knew this. Being a student of the law, he was a rabbi, ordained to be a rabbi. And so he was at the top of his class. He had graduated through uh, uh, school and um, at the local synagogue and had worked his way into being a rabbi. Now you get over to the New Testament and Hebrews 9 and 22 tells us, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so we understand that, that unless blood is spilled, unless something is killed, there is no forgiveness for the sins. You get to John chapter 1 and verse 29. His cousin, another rabbi, John the Baptist, sees Jesus coming. It says, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here it is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He declares him as the Lamb of God. This is what Israel was longing for, what they were hoping for. This would be the spotless Lamb that would have to be sacrificed in order for us to find redemption for our sins. Jesus knew his mission. He knew what had to happen. He knew the Old Testament. He knew what he was called to do. He knew why he left the throne room of heaven and became one of us. He knew his mission, and, and it simply put, we were his mission. It was me. It was you he he wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity should we choose to spend eternity in heaven with god the father god the son god the holy spirit he wanted us to have that opportunity and so we were his mission and he knew that he would have to be the spotless sinless lamb that would make a final atonement once and for all you see he was the final sacrifice after that there there no nothing else ever had to be killed they did because they didn't didn't believe that he was the, 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 the spotless lamb. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. But, but according to Scripture, he was the final atonement. When Jesus Christ shed his blood at Calvary, he paid the price once and for all for all of us. And in this brief moment in Scripture, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the humanity of Christ displayed. Because as God, as the divine, he knew what was about to happen. But what we all have to understand is that he had never experienced these things before. Not as God, not as human. He had never had to go through these things, but he had so much love he was willing to. But he had had never experienced these things before. He knew it was going to be tough because he was going to be whipped and beaten. He had never experienced that before. He was going to be shamefully hung. Stripped of his clothing, completely nude, naked, on a cross, meant for criminals. He had never experienced that before. He was about to feel the weight of the sin of the world. Think about this. A man that knew no sin. You and I, we know sin. Because humanity has, has partaken of, we've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know when we sin we know when we get it wrong it's something internally that we call guilt and when we get it wrong when we do something that we know is not right most of the time we feel that guilt within us it's in this garden where Jesus begins feeling the weight of the sin of the world of all who was all who is and all all who were to come that's us he was feeling the weight of the sin of the world. And the Bible says that while he is praying in that garden, he was under so much uh, travail and turmoil that, that, he, that the, the capillaries actually begin to break. His sweat becomes as, as great drops of blood from all the stress. Why? Because he was feeling all of our sin. He was feeling everything that I had ever done wrong, everything you had done wrong, and all the sin of humanity was being laid upon him. All of that guilt, all of that shame. And, and, and for the first time, he is feeling the weight of all of that. Think about it. Every rapist, every serial killer, every murderer, the, 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 the rankest of ranks of sinners. He was feeling the weight of the entire world. The weight of sin was placed upon him, and he knew I have never experienced this before. And then he would have to experience something that happens with us whenever whenever we sin. And he had never experienced this before. Separation from God. You see, as you read through the scriptures, you start to understand that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are are in, in unity with one another. They are one. But in this brief moment, the Bible says that while he's hanging on a cross covered in the sin of the world, that God the Father turns his back to the Son. And it's in this moment that he experiences separation from God. Something he had never had to experience before. And then he would die a physical death. Think about it. He is everlasting He has always been, he has always been alive. And in this brief moment, he's going to have to experience death. And he's never experienced that before. But let me be perfectly clear with this. It was never an option. He knew. He knew. And being fully human at that moment, he knew it was going to hurt. He knew it was going to be painful but it was never an option. Although his humanity was on display, his divine heart for humanity was determined. He knew he had to go there and he knew that he had to go to the cross for you. He had to go to the cross for me. But Jesus just didn't go to the cross. He also had to go to the grave. Understand this. Jesus had, it, it was a must. It was imperative. He had to go to the grave. On day two, many people wonder what, you know why, why why? Why on the third day? Why not the second day? Or, or why right after he was killed? Why didn't he just come back to life? Because there was work to be done, church. Understand, there were Old Testament saints, people that had put their 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 lives in, in, in the hands of Jehovah God, and, and, and they needed, they needed redemption. They were not alive to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They didn't have the chance to receive or reject his love. But on day two, while everyone else thinks he's dead and behind a, a stone, while everyone else thinks that, that, that it's over, it's done, Jesus was busy working. Because on day two, while he was in the grave, the Bible says that he walked into Hades. It's what the Jews call Sheol. And, and, and it was a place for the dead. It, it, it's where they were just waiting. They were just there waiting. And the Bible says that he walked into Hades. He walked into Sheol and he took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. You see, there was work to be done because in order for redemption to fulfill what it needed to fulfill, Jesus had to make sure that all of the Old Testament saints were were in good standing too. And so he walks into to, to, to Hades. He walks into Sheol and he takes back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. First Peter chapter 3 Verses 18 and 19 states, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. He went preaching through Sheol. He went preaching through Hades, and he was proclaiming salvation for those Old Testament saints. Revelation 1 and 18, Jesus Christ himself said, I am the living one. He said, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And here's what he says, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. You see, for those of us in the room that we've put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ, We know who holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. We know where our hope is found. So listen, they may kill me. You know, Satan may attack my body, and and sickness may take me out. But it does not affect my eternity, because when I am with Christ Jesus, he has the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and my eternity is set in him, and not whatever sickness or not whatever scheme Satan has against my life. When Jesus died in the flesh, the scripture says he became very much alive in the spirit. And that that was Satan's worst nightmare. He had no idea what he was unleashing. He went into Sheol preaching the good news, the place where the dead were. And he came and he had come to set them free. The scripture, it alludes to this, he literally went to hell and back for us. That's what he did. He went to hell and back for us. And then we get to the resurrection. And Pastor Andrew did such a phenomenal job this morning at our 7 o'clock sunrise service, while some of you were still sleeping, <laughs> of sharing the story of the resurrection with us. It was such a, a great moment, even with an overcast. Man, there was just such, such freedom in the air. But Jesus Christ was resurrected, just as he promised. He, he, he declared it, he said it, he foretold it. He was going to come back to life. And for 40 days, he walks this planet. Over 500 uh, people, the scripture says over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Savior. Over 500 witnesses to to Jesus being alive. And then 40 days after his resurrection, he had to go to the Father. And and this was probably disturbing for his closest followers. That they were hoping and and, and believing that he was going to set up his kingdom here on earth. And now he's looking at them going, no, you've got to spread the good news. You've got to share the gospel. You've got to go into all the world. And you've got to make sure people know that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You've got to to make sure people know. But while you're doing that, he says, I'm I'm going to the Father. And they watched him ascend up into the heavens. And he goes to the Father, and it was, it, was, it was so important that he do this. He had to go. He told his disciples that it was imperative that he go to the Father. He, he even told them, he says, it is for your benefit that I go to the Father. John 14, verses 1 through 3, he says, Jesus said these words to his disciples. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. Listen, friend, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, there's room for you. There's room for you. Jesus said, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. This is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. That this earth is not our final destination. Friends, there is is, is an afterlife. There is an eternity. And and, and the only way that we have security in that in knowing that that we are going to spend eternity at peace in, in, in the presence of our Lord, the only way is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's no other way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the only way that we get to experience eternity with God. That's it. No other way. And Jesus loved us enough that he said, Father, I will go and become one of them. Emmanuel, God with us. I will become one of them. I will live a life as a human. And then I will be the sacrifice, the atonement for their sins. But I will rise again. And then I will ascend and I will help prepare a place for them. That's the promise. But he loved us enough that he had to come here He had to go to the cross. He had to go to the grave. And he loves us enough that he had to go to the Father to prepare a place. That's how much he loves us. In in closing, just a few months ago, I think, I think, I experienced a, a small portion of the love and the determination that our Savior has for us. You see, in The last few days, the last week of 2022, we went to Pigeon Forge with um, some family for a short getaway, just a few days up in the mountains, and we were there all in in one cabin. My my in-laws were there, Um, my brother-in-law and his, his family, his immediate family were there, me and my wife and our immediate family, and... As we were on our way up, my in-laws were already there, but as we were driving up, we were just north of Cleveland, Tennessee, and we were heading up to Knoxville when the snow flurries started. It, it's, it's, it's cute at first. But understand, I'm a Florida boy. I was born and raised in Florida. I can count on one hand how many times I have driven in snow, and I hate it. I don't like it. I'm not good at it. I almost died one time in New Mexico, almost went off a cliff. You don't have time for this. But I called my wife at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you better pray, because I'm about to die. It, it was. Hor- I was in a, a, rented, a rental car from the airport, and it was a, a Dodge Neon. They got me driving through a blizzard. It was horrible. It was horrible. But... I I don't like driving in snow at all. I I don't have the experience for it. And these snow flurries started, and we're driving down the interstate. And, you know, at first, they're just, you know, bouncing off the hood. They're bouncing off the ground. You don't see anything sticking. But as it began to thicken up, I I looked over at my wife, and I gave her that look. And I went, "Mm." I didn't want to frighten everyone in the car, but I knew this wasn't good. Everyone else is taking video, and, you know, they're, yay, It's snowing. My wife calls her, her parents at the cabin, and they said, No, nah, it's not snowing here. It's sunny. It's, it's fine. And So there's this little hope that I have. I know everyone wants to see snow, but this is not the time for it. we got to drive up a mountain. We get there. We drive up the mountain. There's no snow. We unpack. We, we, we've been there about 30 minutes. And there are these big glass windows, and I'm standing there looking out. And all of a sudden, it starts snowing and coming down pretty good. And everyone else got excited. And I remember my wife and my daughter and her fiancé and my brother-in-law and all of his family, they all go outside and they're, they're all playing in the snow. And I'm sitting there looking out the window going, my son and my daughter-in-law and my six-week-old grandson were about two and a half hours behind us this father's heart becomes trouble because my kids are like their dad they've been born and raised in Florida and they have no experience driving in snow and I remember I'm looking out that window and I'm just like oh god please let this stop and it doesn't it just keeps coming down and they're outside building snowmen like this tall but they're building <laughs> snowmen and and I'm just becoming troubled in my spirit and I'm watching as it begins to cake up on the cars and before you know it it's an inch and a half thick on the cars and I'm like nobody's coming up this mountain and that was my concern like we're going to have to walk to the bottom of this mountain and we're going to have to carry them we're going to have to bring my grandson we're going to have to bring all the luggage we're going to carry it up this mountain because there's no driving up this mountain we had dinner that night my son and his wife and my grandson they had to pull over and they grabbed something to, to, you know, actually they didn't eat yet, but they, they, they pulled over. It was just coming down, and, and the Tennessee road department, they were not ready for this. They had not put salt out on the roads. It caught everybody off guard. It was not in the forecast. This came out of nowhere. And they pulled over, and we're, we finished eating dinner, and I, my phone rang, and I'll never forget this. I'll never forget it. I answered the phone. And my son, on the other end, and I can hear the concern in his voice. He said, Dad, I can't drive in this. And I said, son, you don't need to drive in this. I said, this is dangerous. I need you just to pull over. Let's... I'll figure this out, son. I'll figure out what, what we need to do. The next phone call, he said, Dad, we're sliding all over the road, and everybody is. I said, son, you just need to park. I don't care if you're in the middle of the road. You park. I'm on my way. And I looked at my brother-in-law, who had the heaviest vehicle. You see, in the weeks leading up to it, I got, I got a new Jeep, and, and I, I thought, well, maybe we need to drive my Jeep. But everybody knows Jeeps are uncomfortable driving seven and a half, eight hours up there. And I just, I didn't, I talked myself out of it. I know now why the Holy Spirit wanted me to drive my Jeep. I looked at my brother-in-law and I said, you got the heaviest vehicle. We had a Ford Expedition. I said, we've got to go. And without hesitation, my brother-in-law looked at me and he said, let's go. Me and him jumped in that car and we slid down this mountain. There are cabins on both sides of the road. There are cars. By the grace of God, we are just sliding from one side to the other, missing cars, barely, we get around this, this one curve, and there's a, a man trying to drive the car up. He's like in, a, in a, some like equinox or something. I don't know what the car was. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, you don't need to be doing this. And his wife is in the middle of the road telling us, stop, stop. We're sliding down the mountain. And I yell out the window, lady, we can't stop. Get out of the road. She turns her back to us as we keep sliding to her, and we barely miss this woman. It almost cost her her life. And I knew there's no going back up this mountain. We're, we're all staying at the bottom of this mountain tonight. By the grace of God, we make it to the bottom. And what should have been about an hour and a half drive to just south of Knoxville, it took us over three hours to get there. Cars on the sides of the road. It was horrible. Horrible. It looked like an apocalypse or something. Tennessee was not ready for it. Now, we eventually made it to them. And I'll tell you this, and because and I, I want to be honest with this story. By the time we got there, my son, my daughter-in-law, they did what they had to do. They walked a half a mile, carrying knocks through the, through the snow, in the middle of the night, to a hotel that my wife called ahead and, and said, you know, do you have rooms? And she got them booked into it. But they did what they had to do. And it would be so much better of a story if I would have showed up and saved the day. But honestly, they... <laughs> They did what they had to do, and I'm thankful that they did. We got there, and what ended up happening was we went and got them food. The next morning, we got everybody back on the road. But that feeling that I had, church, I could not get to my son fast enough. This longing... Desire to get to them. Let's be honest. It was about Knox. (laughs) I didn't care about Caleb and Mariah. It was all my grand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. When when I heard it in my son's voice, I knew I had to get there. I, I had to get there. When humanity needed a savior, Jesus Christ left the throne of heaven. Because he had to get here. He had to come here. He had to get to us. Father, I've got to go there. And he loved us that much to become us, so that he could be the sacrificial lamb, so that we wouldn't have to pay that penalty, so that we would have forgiveness for sins, so that we wouldn't have to keep offering sacrifices that would never make atonement for all that we would do wrong. But Jesus said, I'll do it. He had to get to us. In church, it was reckless. It was absurd. It was unorthodox. But it was beautiful. And it was love. Because that's what God is. Scripture says, God is love. And in his love for us, He knew He had to come to us. And the hope that we have is when we put our trust in Him, then we'll get to go to Him. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.